at the very beginning of the 107th Psalm. O give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, for His mercy endureth forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom He hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, and gathered them out of the lands from the east and from the west, from the north and from the south. They wandered in the wilderness in a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Hungry and thirsty, their soul fainted in them. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them out of their distresses. He led them forth by the right way, that they might go to a city of habitation. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and for His wonderful works to the children of men. For He satisfieth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. So that's just the first verse and chorus of this song. And he begins, Oh, give thanks. That there would be, uh, you might say a command, but I, I would say this, an exhortation of thanks be made to God Almighty. And often, as we're all men and women, we all have flesh, often there's not a lot of gratitude shown to God. You know, you think about gratitude and, and being grateful. I, I tell my children, I want you to be grateful. I want you to be thankful uh, no matter what that it is. That's hard for, that's hard for us. That's not our nature because I, I believe the great thing here that would prevent us from being thankful is thinking that we've somehow deserved it or that we've somehow got it on our own. Um, so you think about deserving things now. With Almighty God, uh, there is no deserving. Uh, if God was going to come today to each and every one of our lives and say, I I'm going to give you what you've earned and what you deserve according to your works, your deeds, and your mouth. Even the psalmist says on over in the Psalms, he says, Lord, if thou shouldest mark iniquities... Who shall stand? Uh, several times in the book of Job, how can a man be right with God? Yeah. By his own works, it's impossible that a man be right with God. And if God was going to stand and, and go down the ledger book, if you'll have it, go down the account of our lives, yeah. go down the story of our lives as he's recorded it, and he said, okay, I'm going to give this man... I'm going to give Joseph what he deserves by all that he said and all that he's done. At the bottom of the ledger book, you're going to find that what I deserve is to be destroyed. What I deserve is evil. What I deserve is judgment and God's wrath and God's destruction. But you know, uh, God has not given us what we deserve today. The God's truth... We've not received the fullness of the wrath that we deserve. They, they come to Jesus over in the book of Luke and they come and they said there was these men that came down to the temple. They came to offer their sacrifices to God. And Pilate had his officers come uh, and while they're there at the temple, while they're killing their lamb or their ox or their, whatever their sacrifice was, Pilate killed them and their blood mingled with their sacrifice's blood. And this is what they were getting at. What kind of evil must those people have done to have deserved that? I mean, that's a, that's a sore judgment. But what does Jesus say to them? He says, you think they were sinners above you? Is there one worse than you in the account of God Almighty? Jesus said this, He said, Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. That's what the Lord said. And He, he goes on and the Lord says, What about those 18 that the Tower of Siloam fell on? You know what happened there? There was people, they were going about their lives, Maybe they were working. Maybe they were traveling. Maybe they were going to pick up their children. Out of nowhere, the tower fell, and it fell on 18 people and took their lives. Do you think that they were worse than anybody else? That's the way man thinks. Well, they deserve that. They're going through this hardship because they deserve it. 
They're going through this because they've done evil. Is that not what Job's friends said of Job himself? They said, Job, you've done some great evil and that's why the Lord's brought this trouble upon you. Uh, and what Job couldn't understand is why I've tried to serve God just like I have my whole life. I, I've not done anything major to deserve this. I've not stepped out of the way in some great way. But the truth is, and what the Lord would like for me to realize is that whatever evil comes on me, I deserve it. I've got no deservedness of goodness from God. Because even when the Lord is good, how much thought is given towards Him. So no, there, there is no earning, there's no deservedness of good to me. God's not obligated to do me good. There's been many that's been struck down. There's been many that has endured great hardship, great sorrow, great trouble, great shocking news even in the last couple weeks. There's been people that's gotten news that would absolutely tear your life down to the very foundation. That is life's going on smooth and this is all it takes. In one moment, in one instance, in, in one second, people's lives were ended and other people's lives affected in a way that will never, ever be the same. Their lives will never. And you know what you say? You say, well, I hope I do good and I don't get that. Well, the truth is that could come to any one of us at any point. And if it hasn't came to our house, then we ought to recognize that the Lord has allowed us to be as we are even unto this day. It's not because I've deserved anything, but it's because of the goodness of God, His mercy, His grace, that I've not got that news this week, that I've not wound up in that condition this week. So what ought man to do? We ought to do what the psalmist said. There ought to be some thanks given to the one that's in control of this unto the Lord for... What's the reason for this thanks? For He's good. Has He not been good to the sons of men? Has He not been good to our life? Now I realize this life is few days and full of trouble. And I realize I may have been through more trouble than you. You may have been through more trouble than anybody on Spring Creek. But when you boil it down to it and you look at your life, at what it could have been, at what others have had and what others have endured, what others have suffered and went through, the God's truth is God has been good. There's not a single person on the face of the earth that could not look back and say, you know, God's been good to me through my life. He didn't cut me down when I was rebelling against Him. He didn't cut off my life. He's not punished me like I deserved, but God has been good to me. Should there not be some thankfulness, some gratitude to God for His goodness and that is mercy, the kindness of God. His kindness endureth forever. So you think about mercy, the word mercy, it's, it is implying that I'm not getting what I deserve. It's implying that there is a judgment against me. There is a penalty that I should pay and yet they're going to have mercy on me. They're not going to give me the fullness of what I deserve. And so when, when you get a speeding ticket, you may go and say, I'd like a prayer of judgment. I, I'd like for you to have mercy on me for this one, and I'm going to try to do better down the road. Well, you know what God is? God is merciful, and He's long-suffering, and He's gracious to man. You think about long-suffering and merciful now, and how kind that God is. That is, man has no time whatsoever for God. We're not giving God anything. We're not giving Him a minute of our time. We're not going to give Him a minute of our thought. We're going to sit down and eat food that He's provided for us. We're not going to be thankful for that. We're not going to thank Him for the day that He's blessed us with. We're not going to thank Him for the health that we have. And you know what God does? Day by day by day, He's long-suffering with man. A man that is ungrateful. A man with no thankfulness. A man with no desire. No desire to give God anything for all the wondrous works that He's done. Is that not the truth? Is God not good? 
And is He not merciful and long-suffering with every one of us? I'm included in that. I'm ungrateful a lot of times. I'm unthankful. I'm especially not as thankful as I ought to be because I don't recognize just how much that I have from God Almighty. I think, well, uh, it's by my strength, it's by my knowledge, it's by my abilities that I've got what I've got. I've got my boys, I've got my wife, that was gotten by by me. I've got the job that I've got, the money that I've got. I've earned every bit of that and I've worked hard for it. But you know, there's been people a lot stronger than me. There's been people a lot smarter than me. There's been people with a lot more than I've had. And you know what they've been? They've been cut off this week. God came by and visited them and He cut them down. He cut the tree down. I tell you, the only reason we're able to stand today is by the very mercy and goodness of God. And I ought to be able to get up today, I ought to be able to get up tomorrow and say, God, I thank you for the goodness you've shown me. The mercy, the long-suffering that endureth forever. Now, this is true for them that are saved. For them that are saved and in the family of God, God's mercy endures through eternity. Because of Jesus Christ, because of the love of God the Father, because the operation of God that's taken place in my heart and the salvation and forgiveness of sins that I've received of God, I'll never receive what I really deserve from God. It's not just some tragedy that I deserve. I deserve to be cut off from the land of the living and my soul to be cast into the lake of fire. I deserve to pay for my sins and my iniquities forevermore. And because of God's goodness and because His mercy endures forever, He saved me not for a week or two but eternity so certainly certainly there's much there's much that even the sinner ought to bow their head and thank God for even the sinner ought to say God I thank you for being good to me I thank you for allowing me to live with the mind that I've been blessed with, with all the good around me that you've provided for me. I thank you for the goodness and for the graciousness of God Almighty. What does it do when somebody's ungrateful to you? When you spend your hard-earned money, you make effort, you make time, and you try to do and reach out to somebody, and there's no gratefulness for that. There's no gratitude. There's not even a thank you given back. How does that make you feel? Is it aggravating? Well, I wonder how God feels. I wonder what God thinks of ingratitude to Him. Listen to what He says. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. That word redeemed, it's twice in this verse, both times. It's the Hebrew word ga'el. It's the same word we looked in Ruth there a service or two ago. It's the same word for that kindred redeemer. The law of Israel, God had in the law that if something got sold, if property got sold, if we got in debt so bad, and in these Old Testament days, I could get myself in such debt to somebody that they would come and sell me and sell my children as servants or slaves in order to get their money back. You know, today they may come and get your house. They may come and take your car. Well, in that day they could come and get you and your children as well. And so there could be a kindred redeemer. They had to be kin. They had to be the next of kin. And they had to have the means, but they could come and they could pay the debt. They could pay what was owed that would set my property, that would set my life, my children's life, free of the debt that I'd run up. I I think that's a wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know what the Lord did? The Lord came down from heaven, not in the nature of angels. He didn't take on Him the nature of angels, as he says in Hebrews 2, but he took on him the seed of Abraham. You know what he became? He became a man, just like you and I are. He had a flesh, 
just like you and I have. He hungered and thirsted just like you and I hunger and thirst. He lived and he had to sleep for rest and he prayed to God and he had trouble and he had sorrow and he hurt and he lived this life just like you and I live. Do you know why he came down to be our kinsman? He came down for our redemption. He came down to pay the debt that you and I had rung up, the debt that I owed to God. He came down and he paid that for us. He didn't just pay it with a little out of his pocket. Now listen, if somebody took all the money in their savings account to pay your debt, would you be thankful for that? If it set you free from bondage and they spent every dollar they had saved to do that, would you be thankful? I believe we would. I believe we would say, wow, I can't believe that you would give that much for me. There's no way I could ever thank you enough. I I believe some of those words would be said. You know what the Lord Jesus did? He came from heaven, from the glory of the Father. He was, you can read in John chapter 1, all things were made by Him. He was the Creator. It was He that was on the throne. It was He that was in power. But that Word of God was made flesh. Not made flesh so that we could look at how great He was. Not made flesh so that He could come and gather all the riches on the earth. But He was made flesh to be a servant and for the purpose of going to the cross of Calvary that our debt could be paid for. He humbled Himself not just of the glory of God. He humbled Himself not just of riches and money, but He humbled Himself even to death and not just dying, falling up dead, but He died on the cross of Calvary. In that day, maybe ever, the most torturous means of death that there was. And it wasn't just hanging on a cross that he endured, but he was beaten. He was beaten with whips, with cats and nine tails. He was smote in the face by the hands of these soldiers and men. They plucked his beard out. They set a crown of thorns on his head and they platted that down on his head with a reed. They hammered it on his head with a reed. He suffered. He was cruel too. They mocked and made fun of him. They spit in his face and he done all of this that you and I could be redeemed. He done all of this to pay the debt. Not a debt that he had anything to do with. You know who made the decision to sin? Do you know who turned their back on God? Do you know who wanted to go their own way? It was me. This was not his debt to pay. I owed this debt. I'd caused this problem. I'd brought myself to this place. But thank God for a kindred redeemer that paid what I owed that I could be released from that bondage. So let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let them proclaim. So thank now. Give thanks. Let the redeemed say so. He's calling for gratitude that we would acknowledge and recognize Him and all of His works in our life. That we would acknowledge Him for what we are. That we wouldn't take credit for any of it. It's easy to say, well, I'm better than all these people. I'm better than them that's up at Craggy. And I'm better than them that's in the ditch line this morning. I'm better than them that's in the world and that's in the bars and that's on dope. I'm better than every one of those. But stand next to God Almighty and look at the debt that you rung up. Could you count it? It's tax time. A lot of people with a lot of money, they've got accountants. They go through every dollar that was spent and every dollar that was come in. They're looking at the books and they're going over them. They're getting ready to turn in all this information to the government. Well, I wonder if we sat down like an accountant and we took some paper and we started counting up the ledger. I wonder how many debts we have to God Almighty. Could you count the sins that's been committed in the last year, in 2023? Could you count? I mean, go back your whole life. What kind of a debt has been rung up? And the Lord came, and out of His pocket, so to speak, at His expense, at His life, 
and his blood and his suffering. Why, preacher, I don't believe he suffered. Well, you can read, I believe it's in the book of Luke. You can read that as he's carrying the cross up the hill. Now he's already covered in blood, I would imagine. He's already been beaten and whipped and spit on with a crown of thorns on his head and they've laid the cross on his back and he's dragging it up the hill to be crucified. There was a bunch of women there and they were weeping. They were crying because of the condition that the man's body was in and the suffering that he had already endured. And he said, weep not for me. I've come for this hour. Weep for you and for your children. Why would a man say that? Because it was their debt he was paying. They offered him wine there. You know why they offer wine? The same reason that we give uh, morphine to somebody that's dying to ease the suffering and the pain. And the Lord refused it. There was going to be no cutting away of the pain that he was suffering. He had to suffer every bit of it that our debt could be paid. And he says no greater love than this that a man lay down his life for his friends. Now you think about that now. Somebody blows through the back door back here shooting and you might take a bullet for somebody in the heat of the moment without really thinking about it. You might jump up and give your life to protect somebody that's in here. And it might be said, you know, they give their life to protect us here at the church. But you know, when it comes down to it, and it's not the heat of the moment, and you've got time to think about it, would you die that I could live? I mean, if, if you were given the decision, now look, if you'll give your life, Joseph can live. Would you die for me? Well, now, I've got family. You know, I've got a job. I've, I've got stuff that I've got to... I really can't, I really can't do that. That's the way I would think. I would think I've got boys that I'd like to raise. I can't, when it comes down to it, you ain't going to do it. No, I tell you what that is. That's the greatest love. And you know who you're going to be willing to do that for? Those that you love the greatest. There's three right here. And that may be the only three on God's earth that I would give my life for in a place of reasoning and understanding. You know why? Because they're mine. I love them the most. And so the Lord Jesus Christ, if that be the case, then we can see what Jesus was saying. There is no greater love than that He would come and give His life that our debt could be paid and that we could live. Have you been redeemed? We ought to say so. That the Lord, our kindred Redeemer, has redeemed us, whom He redeemed from the hand of the enemy. Now I believe you can look at this psalm when it was written. Maybe they were looking back to Babylon. When they were down there in captivity under Nebuchadnezzar and under Belshazzar and under those kings that they said, Lord, would you deliver us out of this captivity and trouble? I believe you could look back down to Egypt when they were in captivity under Pharaoh and he was throwing their male children into the river and having them killed. He was afflicting and torturing them and they cried, Lord, would you be our Redeemer? You could look back to both of those at the time this was written. But I tell you, you and I today, in the New Testament economy, we can look back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what enemy we were under? Pharaoh was a wicked man. Frank already well talked about Pharaoh and his evil and his disbelief in God and his cruelty and he didn't care for their lives. He didn't care for the lives of infants. His desire was for his glory and honor and he throwed everybody else in the garbage can. He was an evil man and a great enemy and it'd be wonderful to be delivered from him. But you know where you and I were? We were in the hands of the prince of the power of the air. I believe Pharaoh loved his daughter. I believe he did. I believe Pharaoh loved his wife. You know who the devil loves? Nobody. There's nobody dear to the devil. He doesn't look on anybody 
and have any compassion. He doesn't look on your family with compassion. He doesn't look on your grandchildren with compassion. He doesn't look on uh, the people in the world with compassion. He looks on lives and says, how can I destroy? How can I bring down? How can I lie to and deceive them? How can I cause them to forsake God? How can I cause them to leave the gospel? How can I cause them to lose everything they've got and be destroyed? You talk about evil. Evil's not a strong enough word to describe the devil who has zero love and zero care and zero compassion on anybody. (coughs) Ah, Some of the wickedest men you can think of. Who's the wickedest man you can think of in history? Hitler, Stalin. But you know, they loved some people. They cared about some. The devil has no care for anybody. Well, I'm going to be his friend and I'm going to do his will. And I'm going to please the devil. No, that doesn't please the devil. You know what really pleases the devil? When the knife goes through your heart and you leave this world lost and undone. That's what pleases the devil. It pleases the devil for souls to be destroyed. It pleases the devil for children to be led astray from the gospel. It pleases the devil for hearts and minds to think I deserve all this good and God's had nothing to do with it and I to him in the least bit. That's what pleases the devil. But he says here, let the redeemed whom he hath redeemed from the hand of the enemy, from a mighty enemy who we didn't stand a chance of defeating, an enemy that we couldn't get ourselves out from under. You know, you can see, I believe, Pharaoh down in Egypt and Pharaoh's army and their armor their shields and their spears and their swords and their weapons and they had chariots of iron and chariots of wood with horses and all of this cavalry that he had. Maybe even had weapons of war like a, a catapults and trebuchets. He had all this stuff. The children of Israel had no weapons. They had no training in war. They had no armor to put on. What chance did they stand against Pharaoh and his army? I tell you, they stood no chance. They were not going to rise up and rebel and win. If they rose up of their own self, they'd have been put down and destroyed. But you know what God's going to do? God's going to bring up a Moses. God's going to speak His Word. And God's going to destroy the might of Pharaoh in the Red Sea. So in that same way, that as they're to remember God's deliverance out of Egypt, we also ought to remember the the deliverance that the Lord brought when He redeemed us out of sin. When He woke us up from the deceit that we have lived in for so long. I thought I was right. I thought I was good enough. I thought God was pleased with me. I thought that I was going to heaven and I was in all manner of corruption. You know what I was? I was deceived. I believed something that was not the truth. What did it take to come out of that? It took a spiritual resurrection is what it took. God came to me and brought me to life. You might say God came and He turned the light on. God came and He opened my blinded eyes. God came and He revealed the truth to me. He persuaded me of the truth. That's exactly what happened. God Almighty came to me when I was in bondage, when I was in servitude, when I was in sin, when I was ungrateful, and He opened my eyes and showed me what I really was. He said, Son, you think you're free, but I want you to look at the bondage that you're in. You think you've got it good, But I want you to look at the wicked master that you're serving. I want you to look at what he's hid from you. You know what he showed me? You know what the devil hid from me? That at the end of my life, the road that I was going, it was going to open up into the lake of fire. Into hell. Into eternal 
destruction and damnation. I was unaware of that. I was on the stairway to heaven in my eyes and I was earning my way there. But the Lord showed me the truth and He redeemed me out of the hand of the enemy. I never raised one sword. I didn't, I didn't do like David and sling a stone at Goliath. No, it was the Lord that slew Goliath in my life. It was the Lord that brought the enemy down for me. And just like the children of Israel, they got there to the sea and they're looking at the sea with the cliffs on either side and Pharaoh behind them. And they said, the Lord just brought us out here to kill us. We sure ain't going to get away now. And the Lord opened the sea miraculously. And you know what He done? He done it in a way that only God could be glorified. He didn't need me to do anything. No, the Lord Jesus accomplished my salvation on the cross of Calvary at the tomb where He was buried and when He resurrected from the dead and He ascended back to God. The work for my justification was done. My redemption was finished by the Lord Jesus Christ and it was Him that redeemed me from the hand of the enemy. Ought there to be any thankfulness and praise to God that brought me out of this place? Ought I not ever now and then to at least bow my head and say, God, I thank You for redeeming me. Remembering that word, kindred redeemer. It's His incarnation in a flesh. His suffering and death for our iniquities. It was all necessary that sins be forgiven. Now listen to what He done. He gathered them out of the lands from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. So naturally, let's get a picture. Here's Israel on a map. And you know where His people are? They're in captivity. Some of them's in Babylon in the east. Some of them's been carried up north in Assyria. Some of them may be uh, across the Mediterranean. Some of them may be south and captive down in Egypt. They're spread out everywhere. But you know what the Lord's going to do? He's going to come and redeem every single one of them and He's going to bring them back to Jerusalem where they belong. Now, I want you to think about this. This has always been amazing to me. But you think about the church of the living God. Not just Zion, but all of the church that's been saved all through history. You know what the Lord's done? He saved people that were rich and He saved people that were poor. He saved people that were adulterers. He saved people that were moral. He saved people that were kings. And He saved people that were servants. And from every tongue and from every nation and from every kindred and from every social status and from every intelligence level, God's gathered His people out of captivity and delivered them. Preacher, that one's too far. I tell you, if they belong to God, God will get them. I don't care how far away they are. I'm not talking about me going and getting people. I can only go so far. But the Lord, the Lord will get them. He's gathered them from everywhere. And the devil says, well, he might do that for some, but You've went so far away, God's not able to get you where you're at. I don't listen to that liar. He's a scoundrel. He's a liar. And remember, He hates you. He despises you. He despises your soul. He desires for your destruction. But the Lord says, I've went everywhere. I've went to every place. I've went to every country. And I've delivered them that were mine. He came in about the year 1999. He came to Spring Creek, North Carolina, right there below West Road. Of all the places on the earth that God could have been, He came there on a Sunday morning and He redeemed me out of the sin that I was in. I know on the road to Damascus, it's where He redeemed Paul. I know that out with the sheep, with his father's sheep is where he called David out of that place. I know that out of the river God called Moses to lead the people of God. I know that out of the land of Ur of the Chaldees 
God called Abraham out. But glory to God, I can say I know where I was when God called me out. If Abraham can say I've been redeemed by the hand of God, ought not the people that God's gathered in, ought not we be able to say, let the redeemed say so. Let His name be glorified. They wandered to reel or to stray in the wilderness. Now wilderness, in our thinking, we live here in western North Carolina, we think of wilderness, we think of the forest. We think of a place that's far away from anywhere in the laurel thickets and in the briars and in the pines. That's not what wilderness means here. The wilderness means here a desert in a solitary way, a desolate way, a place where there was nothing. You couldn't find anything to satisfy your soul. You think about satisfaction now. There's not much satisfaction in our world today. You can get a 20% raise at work. And in two weeks, you'll want a little bit more. It just wasn't enough to cover. You can get a new car, and in just a little while, your old flesh will be wanting a new one. This one's not good enough. It didn't have the power that I thought it did. It's got a scratch on it now. It's getting rusty underneath. We need something else. You can buy the finest house and, and say, my, what a house we've got. And in just a day or two, you'll say, you know, we probably ought to add this on there. We probably need to remodel something. You can go to... It's fitting at this time. You can go to the Super Bowl and say, I've always wanted my whole life to see this. And in three hours it's over and you'll say, you know, I'd like to go back again. You know what it is? Over and over and over again. Nothing brings satisfaction. You may not recognize it, but think, and I think it makes sense, no matter what we've got, no matter how far we go, the soul is never satisfied. Here these folks were wandering in a way where there was nothing to satisfy their needs. And man is living in a world, and I tell you what he's doing, he's working himself to the bone. He's laboring to get more. He's laboring to do more. He's laboring to have more pleasure. And at the end of the day, he's less satisfied than he ever has been. What's the problem? The problem's not that I need another dollar. The problem is that this doesn't satisfy. I don't care how much you get. I could be satisfied if, if. And yet you've never been satisfied. You can believe the Word of God that you're not going to find it. Or you can continue to seek it and never be filled. But the Lord says it was a solitary way. They found no city to dwell in. Now cities in this day, there were rogues, there were enemies, there were bands of thieves. You think about the wild west here in America, in a lot of ways that's the way this day and hour was. If you were living out in the wilderness, you were unprotected from all the evil. And not just the evil, but the beasts. It's something we don't think about here, but you go to Montana or to Idaho and throw up a tent somewhere and have you a honey bun and leave a wrapper laying out, you better be worried about the beast that's going to come that night. Something that's able to rip you to shreds in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. You know where they were without a city? They were in a place that was unprotected. They had no protection for their lives, no protection for their souls. They were continually in jeopardy. I want you to think about the souls of them that are lost. You know what they are? They're continually in jeopardy. Because at any moment, at any second, we could leave this world and be found before God unprepared and hear the words depart. That could happen at any moment and at any time. The lost world is continually in danger and in jeopardy. The word mortal. I, I love this too. In the New Testament, you'll read the word mortal several times. 
The word means liable to die. We're all mortals. We're liable to die at any moment and at any time. So you see the danger. They've got no city. They're hungry and thirsty. Their soul fainted to languish or to fail. What are they doing? They are in the desert. No satisfaction. They're hungry and they're thirsty and their soul is failing. You know what it looks like? I'm going to die here. This is where I'm going to die. They're in a place of no hope. And I don't know whether the Lord will have us ever look at any of these uh, verses later on in this, but you'll find over and over and over again, man is brought to a place of no hope. And you know what happens then? Listen to this. Hungry and thirsty, they're so fainted to fail or to languish, then they cried. Don't that speak of the pride and haughtiness of man? Do you know when man is going to cry unto the Lord? When he's got down to the last second and he's done everything that I can do and he's got to the place, I believe, right here and you look on ahead, you'll see they get to the place where there's no hope. That's where man has to be before he can call on the Lord. And that's why, friends, that the Holy Ghost must draw us to the Lord. There must be a conviction of sin. There must be a recognition that we're not able to do this on our own, that I can't do good enough and earn my way out of this debt that I've rung up. And God brings us to that point, and then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and He delivered them. He delivered. I wonder seriously, if you were there, would you deliver? If it was your young and sure. But if it's your co-worker, and you've told them what to do, and you've showed them what was good, and you've showed them what was going to get in trouble, you showed them what was going to hurt them, and they totally ignore all that you've said. They ignore all that you've done. And they walk off into destruction. You know what I'm apt to say? I told you so. And you know what that brings in the flesh? That brings satisfaction to the flesh. What it's really saying is, look, I was right the whole time. If you hadn't have been so stupid, you'd have listened to me. Could God not say that to every single one of us? Could God not say, I'm not going to deliver them. I'm going to let them languish and be destroyed. When God drew me to an altar, now think about this. When God drew me to an altar, I was under my weight of sin. I was lost and undone and I needed deliverance. Could God not have said, look, I told you boy. You've done this to yourself. But God's not like that. You know what God promises? The Lord Jesus says, Those that come to me, I will in no wise cast out. I will in no wise look down the nose at. I will in no wise throw back to the enemy. But if man would cry to the Lord, the Lord would deliver them out of their trouble, out of their distresses, and lead them forth by the right way. Now listen, man likes to say, and you just pick up the weekly wiper or you go online and look at some uh, obituaries and you know what you're going to find? Man likes to say, well, God forgive them 40 or 50 years ago. God delivered them and they're in heaven and they've went home to be with the Lord. This next part's what's missing. Man thinks, well, forgiveness of sins, that's just all internal. You can't see that and why that got done a long time ago. But when the Lord delivers, it's not just a forgiveness of sins and that's all there is to it. No, He pulls these folks that He delivers out of the desert, 
out of sin, out of deception, David says, out of the miry clay. All of that sin and iniquity and rebellion that had gotten me in so much trouble, the Lord doesn't just forgive me and leave me up to my armpits in the mire, but He brings me out of there. I want you to know this, and I swear to you this is the truth. The day the Lord saved me, my life changed and has been changed ever since. He changed me that day. And now I wasn't fully grown. We said this the other night. But from that day forward, God has brought me along in the right way. I believe that's true for everybody that He saves. So man can't just up and say, well, I got forgiven years ago. And he's still in desolate places and he's still in the desert of sin. No, the Lord brings them out that, he might, that they might go to a city of habitation a place to dwell in, a place of safety, a place of refuge, and a place of rest, a place where I'm not afraid. you know where that city of habitation is? It's in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know in Him there's no fear of judgment. There's no fear of the wrath of God. There's no fear of hell in the Lord Jesus Christ. But in Him I'm at rest and at peace with God and free from the bondage of sin. You know who's in that city? Who lives in that city? An innumerable company of angels. The spirits of just men made perfect. All of them that the Lord's redeemed. The, the apostles and Paul and Peter, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and David and Zerubbabel and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Moses and Aaron and all of these that we read about that God's delivered and all of those that God's delivered from the resurrection of the Lord Jesus until now, all of those dwell in it. You know what it is? It is the holy church of the living God that's been redeemed by the blood of the Lord Jesus. Amen. A place of habitation. I believe you could say this also with that scripture. We're built a habitation of God through the Spirit. Our lives, them that are saved, God has moved in them and dwells in them in the person of the Holy Spirit of God. And so, verse 8, now we get to the chorus of the song. Oh, that men would praise the Lord for His goodness and His wonderful works to the children of men. You reckon I ought to thank God for being good to me. And wonderful works to separate, to be distinguished, to be made great, or to be made wonderful. That word can mean all of those things. You know why the church is glorious? Do you know why the church is without spot? and without wrinkle? Do you know why that I can stand and say with all conviction and all sincerity that if I lay this down between now and service tonight, I'll be in heaven with the Father? It's not because I stood before you and preached. It's not because I've prayed X amount of times in my life. It's because the Lord Jesus paid my debt and in Him I've been made complete. Amen. Who ought to be thanked for that? It ain't me. It's the Lord that ought to be thanked. For His wonderful works. You think about wonder. That a sinner can be righteous in God's sight. That's a wonderful. It's an amazing truth. Ought not God praise. And listen to how He says it. Oh, that men would. Let's bring it down to us today. What if you heard me say, oh boys, I wish you'd listen to me. You know what that is? That's, a, that's an inward desire that they would do something for their benefit. And the psalmist here, and, and you could say David, you could say whoever, but you boil it down, this was inspired by the Holy Ghost of God. And so the Holy Ghost says, oh, 
that men would praise him, that there would be found in these folks that's been the recipient of such goodness, oh, that they would have a heart of gratitude, that they would be thankful to God, that they would glorify him and praise him for all of his works that he's done. Four. Again, there's that because. He satisfieth the longing soul. Satisfieth. It means to sate. We might say in our language, to satiate. If you're building a bridge and you've got a soul that's satiated, it's got so much water in it, it can't hold another drop. It is full. It's to feel to satisfaction. The Lord has filled the longing soul. The soul that year after year in the world could never be satisfied. The soul that year after year could never have joy over what they've had. The soul that labored and labored for happiness and was never able to find it. You know what I found in the Lord? I found fulfillment. I found contentment. I found rest. And my longing was filled by Him. Oh, that filleth the longing soul and filleth the hungry soul with goodness. The Lord. The Lord is the filler. He is the good. He's the merciful. He's the Savior. He's the one that has done these works. And oh, that we would praise Him. Not for what He's going to do. These work's going to be done. I could praise Him that when I die and they bury me in the ground, if Lord willing and time lasts, and they plant me in the ground, I could praise Him for what's to come because I know there's coming a day of judgment that God's going to come in my body, not this wretched, sinful, fleshly body, but a body like the Lord Jesus is, is going to raise up out of the grave. I'm going to go and ever be with the Lord. I could glorify Him for that, but I believe we'll have plenty of time to glorify Him then for those things. But that I would just today look back on His goodness and all that He's done for me and praise Him for that. That's all that's on our heart. Thank God.